everybody. Uh, thanks for being here. Welcome to Incorruptible Mass. Our mission here is to really help you understand state politics. So we cover why it is so broken, what we could have if we fixed it, and how you can get involved. So today we are talking about drugs, um, specifically cannabis. And we have an amazing uh, guest today, Shailene Title. Um, let me first let our regulars um, say who they are, and we'll save the best for last. So uh, Jonathan Cohn. Yeah, Jonathan Cohn, uh, he, him, his, kind of an activist based in Boston for progressive issue and electoral work here in Massachusetts. And Jordan Berg Powers. Uh, Jordan Berg Powers, I also use he, him, his, an activist uh, based out of the Worcester area. I am Anna Callahan, she, her, coming at you from Medford. Um, and yeah, we have Shailene Title, who is the co-founder of the Parabola Center. Before you even introduce yourself, I love the the quote on your site that says cannabis policy for people not corporations uh shaylene tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do thank you um i just want to say first that i love your show it's such a good balance of venting that i find really cathartic and then optimistic <laughs> uh what we can do it's just a very hard balance to pull off so let me compliment you on that uh, so my name is Shalene Title. I'm also an activist, primarily in drug policy and marijuana. I've been doing that for about 20 years. And I spent from 2017 to 2020 as a regulator for the Cannabis Control Commission, implementing marijuana legalization in Massachusetts. Whew, amazing. Um, so we would love to dig kind of a little more deeply into um, this legislation here in Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit about where are we right now legally um, on cannabis? So we're reaching about five years of legal marijuana in Massachusetts. So we passed by ballot initiative decriminalization of possession back in 2008. In 2012, we got legal medical marijuana. And in 2016, we got legal marijuana, meaning anybody over 21 can purchase it from a store and possess it. So that's where we are. Um, the past five years have been trying to implement this law so that it would be fair and equitable and respectful of consumers who are doing something that's legal, just like any other citizen and making sure that we catch up other laws uh, to make sure that, for example, workers, um, tenants, people who are using marijuana legally are not unfairly being punished for it. Um, so that's what we've been focused on. I think we have a long way to go. Um, and of course, marijuana is still federally illegal. So that leads to a lot of inconsistency between state and federal law that we try and find fixes for. Yeah. And so you said that it passed in 2015 by um, a ballot question. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how what has happened? So it passes by ballot question 20, in 2016. Thanks, Jonathan. That uh, passes by ballot question, and then um, that still a ton of like legislation has to be written and it, all the details worked out. So how has the state legislature been doing? in terms of working out that the, the thing that obviously the people of Massachusetts want. 
bad. The answer is the state legislature has been doing bad. It shouldn't come as a surprise to any of you. I will say, um, so this was written, the initiative was written in 2015. It passed in 2016. At the time, it was very progressive. And uh, we were watching at that time uh, what was happening in the first states to legalize, Colorado, Washington, Oregon. And we were finding that it was the same large white led corporations that dominate every other industry that were dominating the new marijuana industry as well. And of course, that seemed deeply unfair, given Mm. that it's black and brown people that have suffered for generations um, by the drug war and been targeted by it. So Massachusetts, along with California, was the first state to try to intentionally uh, address that. Um, again, in 2016, that was groundbreaking for me, uh, watching it, it was really optimistic. I still kind of see this as a vision of how well the state house could work because the initiative had already passed. Um, the legislature had to pass something, you know, so we didn't see a lot of those problems that you usually talk about. Um, and many leaders in the state at the time, Ayanna Presley, Tito Jackson, Sonia Shane Diaz, they came out very vocally um, making sure that the new commission would have to make sure that the industry was fair um, for people of color, for veterans, for farmers, for people all around the state who are disadvantaged. Um, and so it was a very good start. However, in the ensuing five years, um, we've seen no Fixes. Fixes are usually very common for a regulating agency. Um, The commission has asked for those fixes um, and none of them have been passed or even voted on. (laughs) Could you give us an example of some of the some of the fixes? I know one thing that never ultimately got through the legislature, but was discussed, I believe, and kind of an inversion of what tends to happen. The House put it pushed it forward that the Senate didn't was around is reforming the host community agreement process was one thing that the commission had been had been asking for. Exactly. So um, every business has to be licensed by the state, but they also need some form of local approval. Mm-hmm. And what we saw was that many cities and towns were actually, I would say, going beyond the law um, by taking things in exchange from the business, um, getting things paid for. Uh, And it was very unfair because smaller businesses, um, minority owned businesses that this law was meant to protect, they can't compete, you know, and they can't pay what the cities and towns were asking for. So the commission asked the legislature to pass something so that the commission would explicitly have the authority to enforce this and make sure that cities and towns are acting lawfully. It also um, went all the way up to the Supreme Judicial Court, who wrote in an opinion that clarity is really needed here. Um, And it passed, that bill passed the House in the last session. It has not been voted on by the Senate. I'll give you one more really important example. Um, The participants that uh, are getting Um, extra assistance and benefits from the state to get their businesses up and running, Um, people who have been disproportionately harmed by the drug war. They're called social equity program participants. They aren't able to get loans because of the federally illegal status. And so the only people who can go through this process successfully are um, people who can get money from friends and family. So you can imagine, you know, it's a very privileged group. 
there are many states that have addressed this by creating uh, financing funds from cannabis tax revenue. So we brought in at this point, um, $2 billion of revenue in the marijuana industry in Massachusetts. There's a 20% tax. So there's plenty of money for a fund like this. Many other states have it. Um, and so that would be a really good bill to pass. It's another thing the commission has explicitly asked for. And it's another thing that the state legislature has not taken up. Hmm. Sorry, you can you uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see us all shaking our heads at disappointment. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you know the the bill they were kind of forced to do it right by the people, um, but they've just fallen down totally on the the basic implementation. You know, once you get into something, that's when you see what actually happens and that, and you know, it's very normal to have to update these things um, based upon what you see on the ground. So yeah. as, well as, one th as well as one thing, I'll just tag into that as well. Um, that I know that you've talked about is how the world of policy has changed since, since 2016 and 2017. And that like, as people who exist in kind of say, like a progressive political space, the, what the, there's a central position that what we're talking about, about progressive policy in any year should be in advance of what it was five years ago. That like, that like there should be no stasis when it comes to, when it comes to policymaking that both kind of in terms of being able to respond dynamically and equitably to what exists in the real world. That's so true. It's been really embarrassing, honestly, because I didn't pay that much attention to Massachusetts politics. I'd been working on marijuana. And so um, what I saw in 2016, I did not realize was such an anomaly. And these past five years, um, we've seen us just being stuck in this time warp, not moving forward, not being progressive, you know, in accordance with our reputation. Um, but I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because the fixes are really simple. And we have seen, especially in marijuana, so many little wins and I think, and big wins across the country. And I think the theory of change is really podcasts like this, where you can just break down for people um, long-term, the changes that we need to make and how we can do it. And then short term, how we can get around how messed up everything is. And then the second piece, I think, is really um, making the issue understandable for people who don't have time to pay attention to every single issue. I've written a paper on this with Ohio State University that just breaks down the social equity and social justice issues with marijuana legalization in 10 pages, really straightforward, what fixes we could have. And then I think the third and maybe most important thing is just celebrating our wins and having fun making change, which is what we really try to do in drug policy, because if you don't have fun and celebrate your wins, you're going to lose <laughs> your motivation long term. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's important, um, you know, I think it's important to touch upon like where, like why, like go backwards a little bit about how we got here. I, you know, I, I've said on this podcast before um, that my first interactions with the police were around the age my daughter currently is, um, eight years old. And, you know, it was pretty regular that my friends were having pot put in our pockets. Um, you know, people were 
um, people were, you know, the police would just use it as a pretense to, you know, harass young black kids. Um, and so, you know, were it not that my father is a, a lawyer, that I sort of knew some things that I like could talk my way out of these things, but most of my friends were not as lucky. And so if you had the misfortune of being black in America in the 80s and 90s, it was a really bad time. Not that it's like, you know, miles better, but, you know, when we were really going out of our way to try to, you know, to try the so-called super predator myth of young Black males, there was a real attempt to try to get Black and brown kids into the criminal justice system in any way possible. Um, and so it's important to note that the reason that we need these policies to even out, while also being excited that adults can just be adults and let them sort of make their own decisions about their lives is to is to fix the real harm that was done and in in policy that was created at a time where um you know drug use was going down in the black community where it was even its usage ultimately was even with our white counterparts but we were being over policed for it we were being arrested for it we were it was being used as a pretense for um for harassment um, and ultimately incarceration. Um, and I think also importantly to note, it is still the only thing the police do. They don't, people think the police do other things, but they don't act, they're not geared to do anything except ticket crime once it happens and go after, and go after drugs. They don't do anything else. They literally barely do it. They don't, you know, if you are, if you, if you were, if you are a victim of a homicide, you may get some resources towards you, but that's basically it. Otherwise, our our police forces are entirely based around policing drug usage. And so in that context, I think it's important to note that when we are structuring how we build out this thing, we need to structure it in a way that recognizes the real harm that was done in my lifetime <laughs> among all the people I knew and all the people um, you know, who have similar stories. Yeah, and, and not that any policy could could ever make up for that. <laughs> Right. No, but we certainly, but, as we legalize it, we need to exactly. we need to take that into effect. And so, what we're talking about is really simple fixes to a to a good law at the time to better address that as we as we roll this out. And yet, our legislature can't do easy things, right? We're not even asking them to do to make it. We're asking you. You've all, it's already been approved. The, the people overwhelmingly like it. The world has not fallen down. <laughs> you know, Massachusetts is still functioning as a state despite having marijuana legalized in it. We're asking you to do it in a way that recognizes, um, uh, you know, systematic harm, and do so, and just hear what's, you know, hear what people are saying has and needs help, and then make simple changes. And talk just for a second about what it was like back when this ballot initiative was uh, was on the ballot. Um, what was the opposition saying? What did they say was going to happen? There was definitely uh, an overblown, I think. Um, <laughs> warning. Uh, but of course, there was also a level of uncertainty, you know, where I think people rightfully had the right to say, let's be a little bit more conservative in the beginning and roll this out slowly and see how it goes. So now five years of data later, we know that there are really, um, I'm not exaggerating, no significant harmful effects from legalization. One way we know that is cities and towns are allowed to charge businesses for the costs that are imposed upon them. And uh, it's written in the law that they need to keep documentation of those costs. 
there are virtually no costs. Maybe there's a traffic study in the beginning and some more security that's needed, you know, when a new popular store opens. That's really been it. Um, youth use has not gone up. That's consistent with the rest of the country. Um, we're not seeing, oh, actually, let me talk about traffic um, and impaired driving for a moment. Uh, it reminds me what Jordan was just explaining. It's important to note that racial profiling and racial disparities have actually not stopped, even though arrests have gone down overwhelmingly, the disparities have stayed the same or even increased in some cases. And so we know um, that police are still uh, being very um, unfair in their enforcement. And we see things like currently Governor Baker has a impaired driving bill, which would take away people's driver's license for six months if they don't agree to a drug test. Um, that's basically just police officer discretion when they're driving. Um, and it's being unfairly portrayed as something that we need, you know, to solve a problem uh, with traffic fatalities, but there's no evidence to support that there is any such problem. And so I kind of see it as a way to bring back um, some of those arrests to make the police feel like, you know, they have something to do. Um, we really don't want to bring back that kind of discretion and those arrests uh, after marijuana legalization has stopped so many of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so painful to think about all the people who spent years in jail, their lives are ruined for something that's literally not even illegal now. <laughs> it's like, how is it possible that we do this to people? Um, and in many cases, they're still sitting in jail, right? Uh, and that's the, I'm going to tag on that. And I think it's building off of Jordan's point that it's one kind of, with any type of policy, you both have the realm of policy going forward, but also the kind of the restoration, the restoration, restorative parts of policy of the attempt to under or mitigate past harms. And he said, well, like, what has been done, especially I know that with, I think the social equity fund that they need to actually put money in, uh, make accessible was part of that in terms of enabling people who had been involved in the criminal justice system because of the drug war to be able to create, give them opportunities in that industry so that they're not unfairly shut out of that as well as beyond just that of issues around expungement, et cetera, of making sure that something that is not currently a crime under law is not something that has, um, kind of, that ends up unfairly sticking with people. Yeah, Shailen, so, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the question of um, expungement um, and people's records and how that relates to sort of uh, ongoing and, and current political, um, things like the governor's race? Absolutely, yeah. So just as a step back, there's three main components of this idea of equity in cannabis. One is the licensing and jobs. That's what the commission mainly focuses on. One is where the tax revenue goes. Um, New York governor just put aside $200 million um, to help make the marijuana industry more diverse. Those are the kinds of numbers that we're seeing. I think here we're at maybe 15 million, you know, and that was really hard fought. We just got there last year. Uh, we definitely need to increase that. And then the third is the criminal justice reform piece. Um, and again, we're way behind uh, but the good news is we have a model from other states where governors who had the will to do it have done mass pardons and helped to facilitate mass expungements. 
Um, technically, there are uh, organizations like Code for America that help to make this easier where you don't have to go on a case-by-case basis, um, which is what the current marijuana expungement law requires in Massachusetts. Instead, you can just figure out a way to expunge all of them. You don't need to find the people, track them down, do applications. Um, the records just disappear. Um, and of course, that helps a lot to help them uh, the people who have had those unfair records uh, to restore their life back to how it should have been. Yeah. If only we had a governor. <laughs> it was, I mean, that's really the governor. If they, if we had somebody who could make that happen, seems only fair. Yeah. I'll say too, if you care about the, um, if you care about the issue of marijuana, you should be paying really close attention to the governor's race. Cause it's not just criminal justice reform. There's so many ways that just, um, respecting marijuana consumers and businesses makes such a difference. Um, Governor Baker was the only one who banned all vape products uh, when we were seeing vaping illnesses from unregulated products. He was the only one that didn't consider marijuana to be an essential business um, during the initial lockdowns. There's all of these ways that uh, the governor's discretion makes a huge difference. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how Massachusetts um, fits into sort of the national movement um, for getting marijuana legalized nationally? Yes, this is actually the main purpose of Parabola Center, my drug policy think tank at the moment, because I'm actually quite concerned about federal legalization coming um, and us not being prepared for it, us meaning all of the states that have legalized cannabis. Um, the problem is the way that federal legalization is being talked about right now. Um, we're expecting it to fix a lot of problems that I don't think that it would fix. And our experience in the state at the state level has shown us that if you don't intentionally address criminal justice reform, businesses, jobs, and you don't make things fair, it's very hard to go back and do that. I think that would likely happen at the federal level as well. And then we have an additional problem, um, which my next paper is on, which is that I think the monopolization of in the industry would be very likely once federal legalization passes, which would undo all of the hard work that we've done in Massachusetts and all of the fragile progress that we have supporting smaller, disadvantaged or local businesses. So nationally, um, big picture, it's good news that federal legalization is coming, but we have to be very intentional about making sure that it's a good law uh, because we won't be able to go back and fix it if we don't like how it looks after a few years. I think that's a really good framework. It reminds me, this is a different issue, but it reminds me of when I was an undergrad and it was when green building standards were becoming more of a thing. And Georgetown was, had buildings that they weren't planning to get LEED certification for. And they're like, oh, we actually want this now. And it becomes this, like the amount of work if you're not, and like how much better it is with policy, like from an equity grounds, if you go into it, wanting to build an equity framework that is much easier it is much cleaner it is much more effective than having to go after or far into something and then figure out how to graph that onto a system that wasn't designed with that in mind 
think it's important to note too the undercurrent to it. The two things I think about when I think when I <clears throat> to agree with you, Shailene, the the is that John Boner, the former Republican um, head of the of the House of Representatives, is now running right uh, <laughs> a, a basically a warehousing of money among rich people to not to to sort of hit the ground running when legalization happens to to quickly monopolize and that there are attempts before the industry has even been legalized to create monopolies right there is a rush right now to have your money in the right pot to centralize it and to sort of destroy that localization possibilities and you know to to and while we're seeing some really great um work on equity in uh, Massachusetts, you will also notice that there are chains that have moved in and that these are chains connected to some of those big businesses, some celebrities, right? There are, there's already people with money being made richer by this process. So I think unless we are, unless we are clear about that from the get-go, we should know that it will be like many of the other things. And they're not waiting around, right? Like they're not just waiting like, oh, we'll wait for it to pass and then we'll figure out how to make money off of it, right? Like they've already started to line up how to make sure that they benefit from a system that they've, you know, they're, they're like John Boner, you know, he's Republicans are in power partially exploiting this, right? They, they are using black and brown bodies as a way to fearmonger what white voters and to voting for them. And then to then make money on the back end is uh, such a perverse reality that um, it makes me, you know, it's sort of hard to believe we live in that world, but we, we do. <laughs> That's um, absolutely right. But if I, if I uh, want to say one great thing about what Massachusetts has done, they have actually uh, done a fantastic job setting limits so that one company can't own more than three stores. So John Boehner's yeah. company only Great. has three stores in Massachusetts. They were caught trying to have more. They were fined. They had to get rid of those. And a lot of those big companies have just left Massachusetts. They're like, it's too much <laughs> of a headache. We're not going to deal with the state, which I'm very proud of. That's, That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and can you just say a, li- a little word about how passing these bills in one state and in another state like is really a roadmap for getting legislation passed nationally? Absolutely. Yeah. So Massachusetts has been a leader on that. Other states have been leaders in the mass expungement and pardons. We're seeing all of these little models that actually work. And so once we have that data and evidence, we put it together in one federal model that we know works, you know, from our state level experience, we actually know we can have a pretty good thing nationally and we can have potentially a model for other industries to follow. Any ways that people can get involved? Is there ways for people to get involved with your work or with um, any of the, the national movement? Sure. So the biggest national group is called Normal, um, been around since the 70s, always recommend them. Locally, there's a group called Equitable Opportunities Now um, that focuses on cannabis and equity. They can tell you all about the bills that are on the table now and how to work for them. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Shaleen Title. I post all of my um, Parabola Center work and my papers and op-eds. Um, and I hope people you know, find this stuff valuable, interesting, and that you get involved yourself. Amazing. Thanks so much. Your work is fantastic. Um, we love having you on and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone next week. Thanks for having me.